I swear I never even knew what drugs were. As you've probably guessed, I've been in the bathroom smoking crack like a smokestack, Elliot said. I had not guessed that. That was the last thing in the world I would ever guess about anyone. I was mortified, caught completely off guard. One minute we were having fun talking about music, and then the next he tells me that. I didn't want it to be true. I was shaken. I wanted to go home. I was afraid of drugs. Toward the end of middle school, my best friend's father, the coach of our little league baseball team, was revealed on the front page of the Kansas City Star as a crystal meth kingpin, convicted and jailed. It was shocking. I still remember reading the words syllable by syllable in the paper at my family's kitchen table. Crystal line methamphetamine. I had never even heard of the drug, and I was not in need of additional caution. The D.A.R.E. program and mandatory police ride-alongs had successfully scared the shit out of me. The officers told us a lie that smoking marijuana increases one's chances of having a child with Down syndrome. They told us a truth that some people who use PCP and go swimming drown because they lose the ability to tell up from down. They told us that every beer you drink kills 10,000 brain cells. And they told us that the kids who had taken to self-asphyxiating, literally choking themselves with their own hands to get high while in class, were causing brain damage. Elliot's confession inverted reality itself, a satanic message backmasked within a rock and roll fantasy. No, I had no idea, I told Elliot. I wish I'd never started, he said. There's nothing good about it. It just makes your stomach hurt. His pupils were so dilated that he looked alien, pale and clammy, with glossy black eyes. Besides being scared of drugs, I was perhaps the least equipped person on earth to receive such a revelation, having literally run upstairs out of the basement from fright as a child in the 1980s, every time an Ozzy Osbourne video came on MTV. Ozzy was a Satanist, using rock music to seduce kids into worshiping Satan by using drugs and killing themselves. They had taught with spiral-eyed urgency at church. Same with Metallica, Megadeth, and the crucifixion celebrating Nine Inch Nails. To watch one of their videos was to fall under the spell of Satan, a childhood risk equivalent to turning around three times in the dark in front of a mirror chanting the words, Bloody Mary. I really believed it. I warned my skateboarding friends, three brothers who enjoyed a virtually parent-free existence a few blocks up the street from me. We had braved neighborhood sewers after Stephen King's It made its terrifying television debut, swung from vines over copperhead-filled creeks, and watched Alien at far too young an age as they shared cigarettes snuck from their mother's purse. But when the oldest brother insisted on watching Motley Crue's Shout at the Devil video, 
I ran from their basement. The satanic panic subsided with age as I noticed when my reaction was perplexity rather than relief when my brother smashed a Depeche Mode cassette after a church leader informed him that their song, Personal Jesus, is not actually about having a personal relationship with Jesus. Unlearning something that has been programmed into you from preschool, though, is difficult, if not impossible. While I learned to change the channel instead of running from the room, I remained unable to reproportion or reinscribe my church-magnified fear of dark secrets lying in musical weight. Hearing Elliot's words, seeing into pupils that appeared body-snatched black, was to be ten years old in the basement again, ready to run from a transmission of the occult. I don't know if it showed on my face, but I was reeling, head swimming and heart pounding while Elliot made confession after confession. Part of me was listening, sympathetic, making eye contact, interjecting reactions and questions. But part of me was playing out a scenario where I hastily grabbed my backpack and guitars and got the hell out of there. I was scared and bracing for Elliot to start acting crazy or even violent because he was on crack. I had no idea what to expect. Like a smokestack. The words just kept repeating in my head, making me nauseous. Elliot said he was trying to kill himself, to overdose fatally by inducing cardiac arrest, that he had been suicidal for a long time, that he had written a song called Suicide Machine, but that it was too dark to release. I've tried before, he confided. How? I heard myself ask. I jumped off a cliff in North Carolina. I was fucked up when it happened, but I still wanted to die. He had already told me about courting death elsewhere on the East Coast, in the subway tunnels of New York. Not disused ones, either. Active ones, he now elaborated. Good to go, he said, referring to the song of the same name on his self-titled album. You know, as in ready to die. But it was like he was impervious to death, his body able to tolerate amounts of substances that would kill most people, Elliot said. He was very candid about his drug use and its effects. I used to like cocaine, Elliot said of the stimulant. It used to make me feel happy. But not anymore? I asked. Not really, he said. He talked about how he felt that all of the pot he smoked in college had affected his memory. How large quantities of alcohol sometimes made him belligerent. And how heavy drug use had killed his sex drive. He was proud that he had kicked heroin though he did note he was on it the night he played a concert that his father described as the best one of his shows he had ever seen. And he felt that if he could get off of heroin, the hardest thing he'd ever done, then he could get off crack. 
While Elliot's body may have been unusually resilient to trauma, his mind and spirit were, like those of all human beings, vulnerable. I just don't want my mom to have to lose her son to a junkie suicide, he continued. Elliot loved his mother, had immortalized his concern for her concern of him to disarming effect in the lyric, XO mom, it's okay, it's all right, nothing's wrong. From Waltz number two, XO, one of his best and most loved songs. And again on the self-directed corporate sellout guilt of wouldn't mama be proud from major label bow out figure eight. Pride is a prickly thing though, opposite hopes for its fullness, a flip side, feelings or fears of shame. I can't be myself and I don't want to talk. I'm taking the cure so I can be quiet wherever I want. So leave me alone. You ought to be proud that I'm getting good marks. Elliot smolders on the fraught acquiescence of needle in the hay clenching his teeth on the S of the word marks until it sizzles with broken anger, incinerating the meaning of the words cure and proud in effigy. In their ashes, shame, loss of control, painful emotions that Elliot had long sought to extinguish with not water, but fire. I used to put out cigarettes on my arm, he told me, recounting the searing in of new damage by his own hand to somehow quiet the old but still painful wounds caused by another. I wanted to cry. I can't go through another breakup, Elliot continued, shaking his head. There was the pain of losing someone and also the pain of causing pain. On the precipice of my first breakup at the time, I knew at least that much and was terrified of that pain. But with Elliot, there was something else. The loss of a constant companion, of someone who went with him to his doctor's appointments, who knew where his keys and wallet were when he couldn't find them, who paid the bills and got groceries. A mother. He was in anguish over breaking things off with a longtime live-in partner. And yet there was nothing remotely resembling a blood-on-the-tracks-like trail of heartbreak in the songs for From a Basement on the Hill. They expressed pain more like that of being separated from his mother when he left her side at age 14, racked with guilt, fleeing from Dallas to Portland, then the pain of the end of a romantic relationship. No confessions, no recriminations, no last-ditch proclamations. In their place, songs about having been the victim of child abuse, abused, stick man, the terrible toll taken on all areas of his life by turning to drugs to cope with that abuse, true love strung out again, and wanting so badly to die, King's Crossing, suicide machine, Elliot, the motherless son, abandoner and abandoned, exiled in freedom. I just can't go through another breakup, he said again and again, shaking his head as he spoke the words each time. 
More so than even the thought of future relationship fractures, however, Elliot was haunted by those of the past, suffered as a child in the home of his mother and stepfather. He used to take me upstairs to the attic, and then he would open the door and take me in the attic. And then I don't remember what happened. The implication, clearly, was sexual abuse. And the look on his face, petrified, like he had seen a ghost, is something I will never forget. He said the words again, his gaze turning inward. He used to take me upstairs to the attic, and then he would open the door and take me in the attic. And then I don't remember what happened.